Cool. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode. And if you see who's joining me today, Dan Walsh. Nice to see you, sir. Good to see you too, Mike. Thank you for for having me back on. And yeah. This time, not in a uh, in a war with technology. It felt like we had like a lot of things going around at the time, right? We had when you and I were first starting. I think we were about a month into the peak of COVID, and we were also fighting technology issues on both ends of the spectrum on both of our screens. So. We were the forces weren't on our side that day, but um, it seems like in both regards we're both in uh, pretty good spots right now. So I had to make sure that uh, you know we were knocking out another one of these. So um, yeah, nice to see you. Good but to I see you, gotta, man. I do got to start off by asking because you know when you and I last spoke, a lot of the things that you um, were doing, like in your professional life, you know, I know you were doing wrestling and comedy. Those were two industries that kind of got hit a little rough at the start of COVID. Where is maybe, you know, your headspace at now in terms of going back and picking those things up now that things have kind of lightened up a little bit than they were two years ago? Well, like with wrestling, I know that's I got hurt a few years ago. So like being able to do it on like a full scale, that hasn't been for a while. Um, I think the last time I was like working consistently wrestling was like 2015. But I had I had started to like I have a friend out, you know, in L.A. that has a company and um I love doing it. It's one of those things I always love doing. So like I would, I got in the ring, but like even then, man, like my body's just crap. If you do, if you do that for so long, it just really beats up on you. And then when you stop from doing it and then you try to go back, it's just, it's like you aged 30 years. So that one, I, I mean, I haven't been back in the ring since COVID. Yeah. Which like I I shouldn't be in it anyways, man. I have <laughs> concussions. My back's really messed up. Like I, you know, uh, that was something I found out after COVID. Like I just I had back I've had back and neck pains for so long that mm-hmm. I literally just learned how to just ignore them. And then I like went into the doctor because it was just really bad. Like I, I was like not even able to walk at times. Then my doctor was like, you know, did the the, the X-rays and everything. She's like, yeah, you have like degenerated discs. You have like a growth in your spine. You have like, and I'm like, and she asked if I was like in a, in a car accident, and I was like, no, wow. I I was a, I said, I haven't been kind on my body at all. Like, since I was a kid, like it was full contact sports. Uh, I was uh, uh, ranked uh, a USTU fighter, uh, hockey the Marine Corps just carrying everything and anything on my back. I'm like, and then wrestling, you know, it was like, it, I, no, not a car accident per se, but like my life was one giant car accident onto my body. So that just kind of compiled. So like, yeah, she was I, right. When she told me, I was like, that makes sense. Cause like, I just, she's <laughs> like, how are you just walking around? I'm like, when you, when you play contact sports at all, or whenever you, or, or I'm just an idiot. I should I should just say that. I'm not even going to try and blame everyone else on it. But you ignore. It's like you get so used to small and you just ignore it. And then it just keeps compiling and compiling and compiling. And then you, you, you're, you know, like, what is it? Feeling good is a frame of reference, right? So if you've never, for in a long time, you don't know what, like, normal is. So, yeah, then she told me that. And I was like, I, I don't know, man. It was just so normal for so long that that's, it just got so bad. But I don't know why I bored you with that. So wrestling, that was your actual question. Um, really haven't gotten back into it uh, because of that. Uh, I might, maybe one day. I don't know. Uh, but comedy, right when clubs opened up, and here was the difference. Like, L.A. and New York were two places that shut down heavy for a long period of time because of 
the amount, like how the population is, right? Everyone's right on top of each other. Um, there's so many people that like when, you know, I, I would assume any pandemic, but definitely this one, um, you know, virologists will probably tell you that the, the spread and everything is just going to be more imminent more, or, or quicker. So those places stayed shut down for a while. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was able to go, especially like kind of a little bit ways in, I was able to go back to like the Midwest and do sets and that every once in a while. Because um, places like that, like the way they set it up and the way they can do it is there was more distance. You know, I remember like one of the shows I went back and did, it was like um, everybody had their own microphone. And then, like, they air scrubbed the room in between shows. And then, like, there was limited capacity and then everyone kind of spread out. Which, like, if you do stand-up, it is really a terrible scenario. Like, because you want everybody in one area and you kind of want to be able to look at them. And then the clubs are normally dark. So it's like you're, you're really banking on everyone so that your eyes can, like, focus in. So when everyone's everywhere, you're just kind of like, Shh. But it's like you had to do. Yeah, you had to do what you had to do. So. Since then, LA's, you know, in New York, it's, it's opened up. So uh, stand up here is consistent. I just got back from Austin, Texas, did uh, two shows there. So it's everything's back, doing what it's supposed to do. But yeah, it sucked for it was. I, I was surprised at how, I don't want to say easy. I think everybody was just so like ready to get back to stand up. And I, I don't know if we just all sat around thinking about it so much, but I did notice. That the first shows, especially out here, that I went and did, all the comedians were like on it, man. Like it's, it, I don't know, they're oh. just sitting there with like, and it sucked because you had to go through like the months of COVID material. It's like everyone, because you say what you know, and it's like everyone's thing was like just talking about how, you know, being quarantined or, or being on your own was so, like what it did, right? And it's, and at first it's really funny because you're like, you know, you kind of learn that whole when you're alone story from everybody and like you know you want to think that you do really constructive things but we all did really stupid things and we all thought you know when stupid stuff everybody you know it was like the comedians a big thing was like i think everybody turned into a conspiracy theorist throughout it because you just (laughs) nothing but time to think right and some of us don't get paid to think for a reason and that's definitely demonstrated during the pandemic when we were thinking so that stuff was fun uh but now everything's you know, kind of back to normal. Everybody's going back to like, you know, their normal day-to-day lives and that. So the material is becoming more relatable and mm-hmm. more diverse. Uh, but yeah, in the beginning, I was like, dude, I think we all have the same sets as far as just like different ways of dealing with like, you know, everybody's like, oh man, this is what I did during the, the, the pandemic or this is what I was doing when I was by myself. Here's what my crazy parents were doing. Here was my, you know, <laughs> everybody had that story. So now that everything's back, everything's, you know, back to normal, but stand up, uh, it's doing well. And- but but I feel like, you know, with being quarantined for stand-up co- comedians, of course, I feel like that time in which you're not really doing what you're normally doing, which is obviously like gigs and stuff, you're getting more time to work on your craft in a sense because that's all you're pretty much left to focus on if you're, you know, say you're being isolated or you're quarantining rather. You know, I think maybe in a, in a double-edged sword type of way it was good maybe for certain comedians because it gave them more time to maybe regenerate if they were burnt out, you know? Yeah. No, I, you are 100% on the fact that when, I mean, at least for me, you know, you're, you're, when I, I, I was not doing what I needed to do outside of, uh, of stage performance, right? Like, 
that's I'm very old school, Mike, and that's and that's that's what has hurt me in wrestling and everything, right? You're supposed to get out there, you're supposed to network, you're supposed to like be on social media, and I'm old school. My whole thing is like if I'm good, I'm gonna rub elbows with somebody, you're gonna see it, you're gonna put me on your show, and this is how we're gonna do it, right? And now it's it's a different game. So I was stubborn to that. I was stubborn to, you know, getting into acting and all the other stuff that you're supposed to do to extend your brand. And being in that scenario, I sat and thought. And it was like a lot of things th- that I did. I mean, it was like, it, yeah, I want to do stand-up. I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do that. And, and it's definitely helped coming out of it of just doing the things that I needed to do, things that I probably should have done years ago. Um, just, not only just in stand up, but in my like in my life, right? Like I just, you know, it's a, you, you, I always say as a comic, you always want to go full fledged into comedy, mm-hmm. but being a comedian, you are at least myself, and I think about other guys. You're always thinking, you're always thinking and analyzing, right? And I'm an introspective person, like, and I think most comics are. So you can really drive yourself nuts. Not, you know what I mean? Like you're thinking about material, but you're thinking about yourself. Right. And like comics are just prone to just either depressing themselves, you know, anxiety, because think about it as a comedian, you take any kind of like just any kind of situation. And I would assume it's the same for like writers and stuff, too. You uh, you go into a situation, you're thinking, well, then that thinking's going to go back into yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. So you could be thinking about Ooh, what's great about fast food. And you're like, Da-da. and the next thing you're like, OK, what about me? Do I like fast food? Do I like fast food too much? Should I be out? Ex-? And it just turns inward and you drive yourself nuts. So you want to have like something <laughs> that that you're focused. So it, I always say like something that takes the access energy away that you can focus on while you put constructive. Um, only you only have enough room for constructive uh, thought in that towards your craft. So like with me, when I was in there, I was like, dude, I'm gonna go back to school, which I know sounds, you know, insane, but. Uh, I was like, yeah, that way, and I'm I'm better that way. Like that's how I. If I have, I have to almost cloud my mind, not cloud it, but like cr- like cram it for it to work better. And uh, so in the pandemic, I was like, dude, I'm gonna do comedy, I'm gonna do this and that, and then I'm like, and also need to pursue another interest that I really had. So it was like I wound up. I mean, this wasn't too long ago, but um, went back to graduate school, you know, for for clinical mental health therapy. So. Oh, wow. It's, yeah. So it's like, you know, screw it. I'll, I'll do comedy. And you know what? I That's also my ADD, too. I'm like, yeah, I need to do this for comedy. And then I want to get my master's degree and be a therapist. If that's not the definition of ADD, I don't know what is. But yeah, it was it was definitely the stand up, the writing. I got I don't know. If I, did we talk about that? I like submitted for Saturday Night Live during the pandemic. We uh, we. Mm. Well, long story short, like a a friend of mine uh, through networking, the the little bit of networking that I did do well, um, I got connected with Saturday Night Live, got a writer's packet and like submitted and like did legal paperwork and stuff. And I thought I was going to get it, you know, as a writer. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think I would have been out by your woods, but uh, didn't go through probably for the better. But that kind of tells you, too. Where I was going and, you know, once like it it, it looked like we were coming out of the pandemic, I was like, yeah, dude, stand up. I'm sitting in this writer's packet. Then I'm gonna start looking at like schools, and then da 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 da. So that's where I'm at, man. That's, <laughs> I think you well, just got a good idea of how my brain works just with that answer. Whatever that answer was, put that in your head, and that's what I was thinking for two years. 
Well, that's not the only thing you picked up, too. I mean, as some may know, and if you check the mic out, you also got into podcasting with another uh, former cast member, Abram. When, oh, yeah. when did this idea of yours kind of uh, snowball? So I think we were coming. So I want to say a little over a year ago, uh, Abram and I have always been when we were around each other, even the, uh, on the challenges and, and and Abram was on all three shows that I did. Mm-hmm. So he's on my road roll season for <laughs> he's the reason I got on it because he punched Adam a gajillion times. And <laughs> but we had we had met there. And Abram and I are very similar in we look at the world like toddlers, like like audible toddlers. Like we see things and we're curious and we just want to like, what's that? And then, you know, and we want to talk about it and we want to like and sometimes we would annoy all the other people on the on the shows. And although we're not similar in a lot of ways, he and I are similar in that way. So. Whenever we would meet up, you know, outside of the shows, like I, I remember one time I, was, I did a show at the comedy store and he came out and seen me and like, I can't remember if Theo was on that one or not. Anyways, we had met and every time we got together, we would sit there and talk and talk just about everything. And he and I's big thing is always discussions that no one was having that needed to have them. And like our limitations that our big thing was like our limitations that we have as men in our disc and our own limitations is like what we set for ourselves is what we will and won't talk about. Right. And that's kind of always been our conversation. Why don't people talk about this? Why don't we talk about that? Whenever he moved to Los Angeles, we met up and I went and met, you know, uh, at his time, the wife, his, his wife and, 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 you know, he's, she was pregnant and they're getting ready to have their kid and, we were just talking and we were at the house and we sat on his porch and we were just going back and forth about a lot of things about life, about all this. And I kind of said, you know what, man, like we have these conversations on the shows for hours. I know we have them and I, something has got to be somewhat interesting there for people, you know? And, and I always thought that like he and I bouncing ideas off of ourselves or or each other was a good thing. So I was like, you ever think about, you ever think about doing like a podcast? And just like, instead of just doing this between you and I, like we've been doing, like, why don't we just put this out there? Because I think out of all of our rambling, there's really good points. You know, um, I think like his big point was, you know, men with depression, um, stigmas of mental health, um, and real, very real things. And I, and, and we just kind of batted it back and forth. And I was like, dude, let's do it. And both of us are not tech sound at all. Like I'm, we're we're a million percent better now than we were at the start of this. So it started off with us literally sitting down at a table with a cell phone or with like his iPhone and just talking. And we were like, okay, we'll have we had topics we definitely wanted to, to discuss, right? And it was like, okay, one of them had to be suicide. One of them had to be uh, being a father or, or, or new into marriage or you know uh, and that's what we said and we were just going to we were just going to discuss it we were going to record it and put it out there and our big thing was we wanted people to to respond you know so we could almost have like a conversation with people and that was the idea started about a, you know uh, a year ago and it's definitely it's been a, it's been a challenge not and I love Abram he's just like I'll tell you that he's he and I as far as Two people that have met that I didn't think would get along. And, you know, coming out of the challenges, the people that I'm close to, closest to, 
if you'd have told me in the beginning it was going to be Abram, I'd have been like, no. Our first meeting, we, like, I, I don't want to say I was talking crap to him, but it wasn't good. Like, it was, we, was what, a what was the first meeting? Um, we were on the launch thing for, for Road Rules. Okay. And we were get we were at TRL Studios, which I don't even know. If, does anyone even know what TRL is anymore? Is that a thing that's so? I've heard of it. Total yeah. Request Live. It was like MTV had it, you know, right there at the uh, the Times Square, uh, right at the Viacom building, where you could oversee Times Square, and it was where they would introduce video countdowns. They you yeah, when they played music, that tells you how long ago it was. So they had a special to start off Road Rules, where they would introduce the pit crew and the guys that are coming back. So it was like him, Adam. Susie, Kina, Veronica. Veronica. Yeah. So Shane too, I think. Shane. Well. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. Shane. Why did I forget you? I, I, Shane is like such a, when I tell my like life story, Shane is a very pivotal part of that. And, and so I can't believe I, that, whatever, we'll, we'll, we'll delve into that later. But when we were getting ready to go out, they didn't know we were there. So they would like put our videos up and they're all just kind of like talking trash or whatever, or, or saying things and like, I was getting ready to walk out. I remember being like so happy, being like, "Oh, this is so cool!" You know, like look at this and like you know, and like right when I walked out, he said something like, "Well, I don't care if that guy's a vet. He could have just been a water boy over there." And like, dude, when I tell you that I went from like happy to like that mother, like I was mad. And if if you if anyone can find the footage with me, I'm normally like a happy go lucky dude, and I'm like sitting in the chair and my leg is just twitching. And I'm mad. And, like, people that watched it were like, dude, that knew me, they're like, you were so pissed off. And, like, we just know that look. And it was like, we couldn't figure out why, because you should be so happy and you're just really mad. (laughs) And I was like, don't freak out. Don't do a Jerry Springer moment. Don't get, like, this is a post. And he said something. Like, right away, he goes, Dan, what did you do over there? And I I think I said something like, you know what? Let me tell you something. Even the water boy in Iraq is 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 a bigger badass than some cheesy ass reality TV person or something like that. I don't know. And I was like, and I just looked. And he like, what was great about it is he just kind of smiled and he kind of was like, Yeah, that was a douche thing to say. Like he was saying it to kind of stir up the I know what he was doing, you know, like and it was yeah. for the right reasons. Like, let's start the conflict, let's make it interesting for the people. And I don't think he thought very because his he has so many friends in that that are you know veterans and that. So now looking back at it, I was like, I you could definitely see how green I was in the experience that he's just like now if I like went and that happened, I'd be like, okay, You're like that's what's supposed yeah. to happen. It's no big deal. Like, but at that time it was something so new, and you see it on TV, so you're like thinking everybody's like trying to start crap, or it's like a prison, you know? They want to see where you and like so what happened? I'm like, oh me, dude. Of me out of everyone on this thing, but then you know, I look back at it after that. I think we talked that night, um, and we just hit it off, dude. It was like it wound up being that 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 initial. I'm glad it happened because I think it like definitely we caught each other's attention, mm-hmm. but ultimately it led to us actually getting to know each other and and yeah. like and yeah, he wound up being like I think at that point like I was like I really want to be on the show with him. Because I think he and I would work well together because we are different, but we're the same. And I think like our differences would actually work well and, you know, with the things that are the same. So, yeah, he and I, if you'd asked me then, would we be doing a podcast and that together? I would have been like, no, like, I don't know how well he and I are going to do together in a room for an extended period of time. But, yeah, it turned out I liked him then. You know, we obviously didn't get too much time on that first season. 
but then he was on the island with me, and and I liked him there. You know, like even though I was having like a mental breakdown. You, you guys thing. had two different trajectories on that show. Let me tell you. I mean, Abram left early, but from speaking to him, he told me the island was uh, right in his wheelhouse. That was his favorite show, he said. And then you, of course, I mean, you obviously took like a little bit of a different type of path on that show. So you guys had like two different wavelengths on that. So right there, it's kind of like, you know, it almost seems like it should work out, right? Two opposites go together. It should. And like, honestly, the island, uh, had I not been like in the actual, like in the deepest part of my addictions and like problems, Mm -hmm. the island would have been right at my wheelhouse, wheelhouse too. Honestly, I think the only reason I lasted physically through the whole thing is because of how, you know, at that time, my body was geared towards, because I was still in the Marine Corps, and, like, my body was, yeah. was was really geared towards destroying it and still, you know, existing in harsh elements, uh, which, why, the, the amount I was drinking and the amount and what I was doing, like, had I tried to do that now, man, I'd have been hospitalized and airlifted. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, that, that's how bad it was, and I don't think people understand that. Like, go under under a thousand calories a day of what you're eating and then drink easily a, a, a you know a fifth of Bacardi Jack anything I could find a day with beers like that's how much I was drinking every day and not eating so that spells death to anyone and like the fact that my body existed to the point that it did is I don't know man when I look back at it I'm shocked and especially from what I know now about what alcohol and drugs and that can do to the body short term and organs and that um yeah it had i not been screwed up on that i actually really liked the the game i liked how because it was very challenging and i would say mentally i don't think there's anything they've ever done before or since that would do what that did to each of the cast members Uh, i don't think that would be sanctioned uh no i don't think they'll ever do it again because People got to remember when people came back from that, there was long-term health issues that came out. I think like oh, yeah. Jen or somebody had to have like gastrointestinal surgery or something because the, the the body wasn't I, something. I, I and I, I guys, bear with me loosely on this. I want to say something like the peptides in your body, you know, that break down stuff. Like there was they weren't generating enough because we weren't eating enough for so long. Yeah, that it literally affected when people went back to normal, like intake of food. Their bodies couldn't handle it. And so there was a lot of long-term things that happened that I think the producers were like, oh, man, we didn't think about this. But it was, it was, pretty, t- it was pretty tough, but, like, I also – I can't say it was that tough because I was drinking the whole time. If it was that tough – like, it was b- – out of any challenge, yeah, it was, I would say, hands down. I, and I don't watch them now. Maybe they're way more intense. But when I went to Cutthroat, that was a vacation. Like, I remember sitting there right. almost bored, like, because my last experience, although my brain was mush, was, like, was the island. And then I go yeah. to Cutthroat, and I'm sitting in a nice house eating consistently and, like, just listening to people whine. And it was just annoying. I was like, and I mean, I'm also, I think on that show, I was seven, seven months, months, months. Seven months. Yeah. I think it's said, in yeah. sobriety. So it was like, yeah. I was literally, like, on edge with myself. Mm-hmm. And like, so everything that everyone was doing was very annoying to me, but for my own reasons, like it was my fault, you know, like right. my fault, but I was going through a lot of stuff. So that probably wasn't the best time to like be dealing with all of that. And once again, 
Abram and Derek, who are like my my two angels. They're both angels, although they can be devils at times. They're both angels. Uh, were great to have there because it was like you could just go talk to them and like have a non-challenge like conversation with them. You know, it's mm. when you when you go on those things, there's certain people that are just so obsessed with playing the game. And the and there's yeah, and then there's people that really can just exist in it and be normal people. And like definitely Derek uh is great at Abram. that. Abram's great at that. Uh Johnny's really good at pretending he is, but he's bananas. <laughs> yeah. But he's I, he's pulling them strings the whole time. Um which I always knew. You know what I mean? It was like great, like you talk to him and you you could feel where he's like yeah, so maybe and it's like I know what you're doing, dude. I, <laughs> I don't. I just need a minute, but yeah, that's why I think my friendships are even stronger with those guys. So you had a previous question, and I once again, I told you this is what's going to happen. We're going to well, go everywhere. Except let me ask you though. So you obviously had what you were doing with on the island. We saw it unfold with like the amount of drinking that you were doing. Was this something like you were having like? right up until that point before you went on the show or was it the show and the heightened setting that brought that out oh man so i don't i don't think we had this talk you know what we'll get down into it um so i had had drinking issues since i was 19 right okay. so i come from a family that where alcoholism is very dominant on it okay like i had an uncle that was a psychologist that literally drank himself to death in a, in a gas station parking lot. You know, um, my dad had issues with it. He, he was, my dad was able to like get out of it, you know, without, you know, very little scars. Um, my, you know, I have an uncle that's, you know, a, a Vietnam vet, you know, two silver stars, bronze star and a purple heart guy held his own guts, you know, came back. He has had issues with it. Like it's, and then I'm with it. My whole family is with it. So there is this, you know, I, I hate to say demon because I think it like, it takes away the, from the, the ownership of it. Like we have, as I've learned, we have kind of a genetic um, makeup in us that, you know, whenever we take the alcohol, we like it, man. And it like, you know, and, and it, I was definitely a, I carried that on. And so starting from about 19, I was drinking or 18, was drinking a lot. I remember like before I went to boot camp, I drink every single day. I was intoxicated for a year before, like at least each night. Before I went, and uh, to the point that when I remember when I went to boot camp, I was like, now what I know is I was suffering from, I thought it was just nerves. You know what I mean? Like, you get in there, you're like, oh, you're getting yelled at. So that's like, but like, yeah, I was like shaking. And, I was, and I'm like, looking back now, I'm like, dude, you were literally going through like, like withdrawal. Like, it was, you know. So that happened um, for a while. It wasn't that bad. But like, whenever I had a chance to go party, I partied to the extreme. That was just, I mean, I was drinking till I blacked out, drinking till. You know, and, and at first it was fine because I was always such a happy-go-lucky kind of person. And um, I, you'd always get the fun side of me. You know, like every once in a while I'd do something kind of crazy, but it was like, it was fun, it was fun. Um, fast forward, went to Iraq, came back. And that's when like the drinking, definitely like a year after, it started taking a really dark turn, right? So like right now, I don't know if anybody or fans of psychology in any way but like dude freud and, and young and, and those guys in the beginning kept talking about like the conscious and unconscious right like you have things that are underneath the surface that are unresolved and whenever you can get into that whether it's in dreams or you know intoxication or anything like that where that stuff starts to come out it will literally affect how you are without you even really knowing why 
and you start doing things that are just very dysfunctional. And I think that's what was happening. I had a lot of unresolved issues. So when the drinking happened, definitely a dark side came out and things that were so not me. And I want to mean like, like when I tell you, like when you get into like when you wake up the next day and you kind of go back to what you were doing and the actions that you are committing are so foreign to you, it's almost as if you're possessed and someone had another body. Um, that's definitely you have issues that need to be spoken about and whatnot. So what the cycle began was is that started to happen. So the guilt would come to me in the morning and obviously now serotonin depletion. Also, this is I'd be like depressed, anxious, regretful. And so I drink to numb that. And then yeah. this thing just started, man. And it was like it got to a point where I always could function before it. Right. I mean, literally, I drank moonshine and went and got a first class PFT the next day in the Marine Corps. Like, that's how I used to perform, you know, physically. And But at this point, it was starting to break me down so bad that physically I was inferior than where I was. Mentally, I was inferior and I was really breaking down. About 2006, uh, so it was about, two, about a year, two years after I got home, my drinking and my actions had gotten so bad and no one even knew about this that, like, literally, I had, like, a revolver, a 357 Colt Python revolver, and I was literally like putting it in my mouth and my head loaded, wow. like just to see. And I wasn't like I wanted to kill myself per se, but I was doing something to get some kind of like feeling, some adrenaline. Because, like, my normal, what I felt my normal reactions, my normal feelings weren't, weren't doing it anymore. That sounds odd, right? Like now when I look at it, it just sounds really dysfunctional. And and sadly, that's normal, right? So people that are in depression or the fits of like, you know, uh, uh, addiction or anything like that, they'll, they'll cut themselves. They'll do some kind of masochism. For some reason, I think my masochism was like scaring myself to death to feel something. And at that point, I just remember, dude, you talk about just hating myself, being depressed, uh, being mean doing really dysfunctional things, the, the relationships I was in, I was evil. I was freaking evil, right? Like, I wasn't beating the crap out of anybody. Like, out of the, like, I mean, my aggression stayed towards girls or, or towards guys, not girls. But it was like, even my relationships with girls, like, the, I was getting mean. Like, I would start to say real mean things. And, I would, and this is just not me, dude. Like, my mother raised me and my dad raised me to just always respect females. Like, you know, there, so I just seen something really, and I hated myself for it. Then road rules happened. Okay. Which you would think would be like, don't go on that thing. But off of a dare from my roommates at the time, I sent a tape in long story short, I get on it and it, it saved me for a little bit. Right. I had something exciting, something new. And the, the, uh, the drinking was still a lot, but like, my behavior got better. My outlook on life got better. I think I still showed a lot of dysfunction when I went on there. And I was still really messed up going on there. But it was a little bit better. Come back from that. I go right back into being terrible again. Friggin' the island comes back. And I'm like, alright, well, I'll do this again. Shit that was a perfect freaking storm. Yeah, so I remember I quit drinking for like a week before I went on. Hmm. longer than that i want to say like a month and i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna get it together i'm gonna try like this is gonna be my like rehab this island right and i get there and god it wasn't even a day 
I got there and saw they had liquor, and I just started drinking like a like a fiend, dude. And I, dude, I blacked out. I didn't even have a bed. It's like the first night they all drew on me, and I had to go like I had to go find a bed. Like I woke up in the middle of the night, at like two in the morning, didn't even know where, where I was, what the rules of the game was, uh, nothing. I didn't find out the rules of the game till like three days in. Like How much I remember. Of the show do you remember? Bits and pieces. I mean, I, I remember more than I thought I did, honestly. Like, oh. it's like that recollection. Like, I didn't think I, re- I thought it was all blur. Mm-hmm. And then, like, when I go to tell stories, I do remember. It's like, okay. Oh, okay. Stuff pops in my head. I'm like, I remember, like, here's what's crazy. I can't remember an overview of a lot, but I can remember specific conversations or specific instances whenever people bring it up. Like, if you get me started, or like, then I can, I can start. But, like, overall, like, you would think that I would remember five weeks on a beach with no food, you know, very, very, like, very intensely. And I don't, right? I remember briefly my relationships were a relationship with, with Robin. I remember her punching me in the face at one point. Uh, wow. Yeah. And Did they it, show that, do you know? No. You... Oh, no. wow. No. And that's why I tell people, I'm like, at least I had that going for me. Like, I was scared. Like I, my, I was a, I couldn't control like my, my fluctuation and anger at that point. So there was a lot of times where I was flipping out and doing things that I don't even really understand why I was doing them or, or anything like that. And in that instance, when she hit me, I was so glad that something in my body like went reverse. Like she hit me and instead of getting like, I like sobered up and walked away. I remember that walking out into like, I just walked away from her. And at that point, like before that, I think someone like Ashley, somebody said something to me like two days before and I flipped out, dude. And I like jumped up and like they had to tackle me and I didn't know what I was going to do. Like when I, and it's, that scared me. So whenever Robin like hit me, the worst, oh my God, man. When I think of, I got so scared, I was like, dude, what if I would have just snapped and mm-hmm. did something terrible? I mean, I would have never been able to forgive myself mm-hmm. or be forgiven. You know what I mean? So I'm really glad. And I don't know if it was just something still left in me and that rotten brain that said, dude, walk away. Like, don't. So in a lot of ways, man, like whatever she did, it knocked some logic into me. And it was silly anyways. Like, I I think I think she was doing. So you got to remember, she was not doing well on that show either. Okay, so we were not the best together. And I think we're both. I think there was things about each other that we really liked. You know, like I, I remember that. I mean, there's her sense of humor and everything. Like, so there was a good thing to it. But, you know, when we both drinking and we were both really into it, we were just we were dealing with our own stuff and getting together was definitely not conducive for either of us. So I think I was I was doing impre- uh, impersonations of everybody in the island and I used to be able to do them really well. And like Johnny would get me doing them and I could do Kenny, I could do Johnny, I could do like everybody at that time. It's like a parrot. And so then everyone would get together and they'd have me do them and they'd laugh because it was like, I, at that point being around them so long, I could like dead on. And I think Kellyanne had asked me to do her. Right. Ken? And then, uh, yeah. So I did Kellyanne to her. She laughed and then she goes, do Johnny. Cause Johnny's impression is like him making fun of Kellyanne saying really mean things. Cause I was, I joked around. And I was like, dude, if you take all the charm and humor away from Kenny, you have Johnny. Because, like, Kenny says things that are, like, funny. Like, Kenny will rip on you, and it's funny. Like, yeah. I, I, he would roast me, and I, <laughs> I would want to get mad, but I couldn't. 
That's that New Jersey humor, man. Yeah. It was so funny. And I'm like, so, and then Johnny would just say things that like, you would, like, you'd have to go, he's just kidding. It would like, it would really piss you off. And like, you know, and, and there's just a few times where I'm like, man, if we weren't on a show, you know what I mean? Like if I was in a bar with you and like you were saying this shit to me, especially with like how messed up I was at the time, it'd be different. But what he would say to other people, you know, so he would always yeah. say things that cut to the core of you. So yeah. he would do that to cut. So I was doing an impersonation of Johnny ripping on Kellyanne. Well, Robin heard it and thought I was thought I was like tearing into Kellyanne. So she came to Kellyanne's defense and thinking I was like calling her, you know, all this stuff and just punched me. Like, just Did yeah. everybody see this too? Yep. Oh, wow. That's rough. So I walked, I remember this, I walked out because before that, I don't really, like I said, I, I gave you like kind of a brief, what I do remember, can't remember the specifics. She hit me and I like walked off and then like production came out and like found me and kind of was like, was everything all right? Like, you know, and I pretty much even then was like, okay, we're both wasted. We're both idiots. This shouldn't be, please don't take this serious. Like, don't take it serious on her. Don't take it serious on me. Like, this isn't a scenario. Like, to me, it was like, this isn't a, a cast member hits a cast member scenario. You get what so I'm saying? Did they ask you, like, if you wanted to send her home for that? They didn't ask if I wanted to send her home, I don't think. God, I don't. I said, Mike, you're asking me to remember. I just remember like sitting there and kind of like when they came to talk to me to see how I was doing. I was pretty much right away. Like we, we just that got that went too far. And I'm not I don't feel threatened by her. I don't feel anything like that. It was silly. You know what I mean? It was like it was it was silly. And and I think I and I think even they knew that. You know, what I mean, I think it, it's different when two people are arguing and there's legitimate anger there and then they fight. Because the thing with me and Dave was more that of an was issue. Hilarious. Yeah, that was more of an issue than than the than the me and Robin thing. Like it was, and me and David didn't didn't ever come to blows. You know what I mean? It was just like, but they had to keep us separated, and mm -hmm. you know, and then he lost his damn mind too. And <laughs> I, can, I may have contributed to that. I don't like the the way that that got like kind of you know, portrayed was so funny. You had Dave kind of preaching to the choir about your drinking problems, right? And yeah. the way you almost see that foreshadow was, like, so beautiful. Like, he talks about you and is, like, trying to plot your demise for your drinking issues, and then later on that episode just goes completely off the wall with his own drinking and then just quits. Dude, like, the next night or the next... And I stopped him. Like I at one point I stopped I stood up when he was get, trying to leave, and I stood at the steps. And I was like, "Don't go home like this, dude." Like yeah, I, I know we have an issue. I think it was like me and Dunbar or me and Kahada might have been standing sitting up there with him, and he was like, "I, I want to go. I want to go." It was like the next day, and I said, "Don't, like, don't." And my thing was like, "You and I." I think at that time I was like, I, I do kind of remember being like, "Your and I's thing is stupid," like just, and, and he's like, "It's not about you and me," and I was like, "Okay." That's fine. I'm not like egotistical enough to think so, but like, I don't know why there's something in me that was like, what he did was kind of silly too, because it's like, here, here's the thing that I could say about me that I've learned in my worst. There's something that shows to people that make them sympathetic towards me or 
there's something that makes people see that underneath the chaos or the stupid things that I do, that there's a good person, right? And I'm lucky for that. I'm lucky for whatever that is, man, because that has gotten me out of so much trouble and it's got me, you know, on the right, straight and narrow. So I think when I got there, even though I was partying, even though I was doing a lot of stuff, the guys liked me. And so did the girls. There was something that, even though I was yelling and flipping out at them at the time, they would like, there's that, he's not. It's like you had such a good social game without trying. Yeah, that, and he was that like. made you get far in these games. Yeah, and I think that everyone knew that, like, okay, he's a good, decent dude. Like, I think with me, I'm not plotting against you. Like, that's just, you know it. Like, I don't, I wear everything on my, so, so it's like, I just, and I don't, it's not in my, it's not in my DNA. Like, I can't. My only thing is, I if I have an issue, it will be dealt with face to face, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna go behind your back. I'm not gonna do that. And in a lot of ways, that's why I suck at the challenges, man. Because uh, I'm just not motivated to do what is necessary to win, right? So, so he's like thinking, "Oh, let's get rid of it." And little does he know that for whatever reason, everyone has found this soft spot in their heart for me. Like as chaotic as I was, so early, there's no reason for them to have it. They did. So, like, right when it happened, I remember, like, Johnny was like, and he wasn't the first one. Someone else, I'm trying to think, it might have been Dunbar. Someone else was like, hey, man, this dude's, like, already trying to, like, make a move towards you. And I was like, what? And, and like, they, I remember the, they were like, don't say anything. Don't do it. And I'm like, I won't. I won't. I won't. And, like, I remember him sitting there, and, and he just has this smile, this arrogant smile, or he had it. And I just remember staring at him. And I'm like, and it boiled all day. And I'm like, I'm going to fucking knock this And I'm like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. This is my plot. I said, when, they all, when they're all distracted and he's by himself and the cameras are away, I'm going to look right at him and I'm going to let him know that I know everything. And that he better watch his step. Like, he better just, you know, like, I didn't want this to play out in front of the camera at all. Whenever they, I remember they all went over towards the shower for something and he was sitting at that bar. And that's when I looked over and I said, I want you to know I know. I know what the, you know what you're doing. And if you got a problem, you come to me. You don't blah, blah, blah. And he, the way he reacted, I remember it was like he, like he purposely reacted in a way that would get the attention of the cameras. And then that's why when you see it, we're already, it looks as though I just walked over and started, do, but it wasn't. He like, and I know what he was doing. He wanted the cameras. Mm. He wanted the cameras, A, for, you know, his own camera time. Yeah, and B, he's like, if the cameras are here, this dude won't hit me. Or if they're paying attention, nothing will happen, right? And he underestimated how just, uh, like, stupid I was. So that's when, and that aggravated me. And so that's why I'm just like, and I'm grinding my teeth and I'm trying not to, like, because I just, I know his fate, everything I wanted to, yeah, I've never wanted to. There's times in my life where I'm about to hit somebody and I'm really having to fight to not do it, right? And I, I mean, now those days are, now they're not completely gone. LA traffic, at least once or three times a day. But that really irked me. And so I think the way that that looked was not so much the situation, but how he reacted to it. And trying to not freak out because I, my first thing is I didn't want it on camera and then he brought the cameras in. And then in my mind, it was kind of, or what he did and this all could be in my brain, too, because I'm uh, was not mentally well at all, was that he purposely did that to bring the cameras in. And my thing was like, this isn't a camera thing. This is a man. I mean, like man to man thing. Right. That irritated me more. And that's why I think it just looks so dysfunctional. Like it just looks 
And then I like I recently, I mean, not recently, probably like a little over a year ago, went back and watched it because like I couldn't watch that season, man. It was like watching that's a, that's that. a thing I hear. That's the thing I hear. A lot of people have trouble watching themselves back on TV. Like it's maybe a weird thing for them, just like seeing yourself do something, or maybe in some cases, you know, like it's just really hard to watch from like a trauma standpoint. Where where did you maybe fall on that tight line of uh, okay. not not trauma. watching? Trauma, definitely. Like, that is a part, part in my life that, although it was necessary to happen, is not something I look fondly upon. And that's where kind of like my conflict with the challenges comes from. You know, I'm very grateful that I got to do it and I got to do all that. But at the time, that was probably the worst representation of myself that I had in my entire life. All three of them, you know, like even Cutthroat, where I was sobered up, I was still so messed up in my head, like trying to just resolve things that I was not there. I really wasn't there how it should have been. So, in three shows, you see this like this complete arc of dysfunction with me. And so when I watch it, it's a reminder of where I was. And I like to really aim forward and use the lessons of what happened as a way to like be proactive and or, and be positive. So when you're when you go back and you look and it's you're just you're in the throes of it and you know it's not going to get any better anytime soon. You know what I mean? It's like I'm never going to see myself get better in this. I'm just going to see the worst. And when you start to see it, it's weird. Like you look at your eyes and there's times where you, you know what you're thinking. And that's like it, that hits you in the feels because you kind of go back there. And then there's times where you're looking at yourself and you don't know what you're thinking and you're looking at a stranger. And that's just a very odd thing to watch. And like with me, man, and I would assume it's like everything. That's a very real emotional time for me. Like mm-hmm. when people saw on the island and, and even road rules and even, you know, Cutthroat is such a real, uh, unfiltered kind of look at just what I was going through. And I'm not somebody that I, I, I've, I've embraced the fact that, like, whatever dysfunctional things that I do, I would love people to learn from it. And, like, dude, laugh at me, you know, look at me and be like, what a joke. If it'll help you be like, I'll never be like that, dude, then great then great do that but so watching myself do that is it's hard because i mean i had a breakdown after the island where i was literally taken into custody in a miami airport and because of that trauma dude i wasn't able to get on airplanes or go near airports or anything for you know when did cutthroat happen so cutthroat i literally cutthroat went was my, 2010 yeah so, so was, I think the island was 07 maybe yeah maybe two years so up until the uh, cutthroat, I couldn't even, I was scared to death of planes and airplanes. Like, that's how traumatic whatever happened in Miami did. You know, I mean, whenever I got, when we were coming back from cutthroat or from uh, the island, man, I, yeah, I went into custody in a Miami airport and I basically got put into like a, uh, like a, like a detox tank kind of thing in Miami. Then I wound up getting transferred to, uh, and I didn't have my phone. I didn't, it was really scary. And I was having a mental breakdown and, uh, I was, in, yeah, in a drug, in a drug, like literally I'm sitting there with people going through drug withdrawals and, and stuff and I'm just in the throes of it. And I'm also dealing with just breaking down in general, psychologically, as well as like chemical dependencies and that. And then I wound up going to the VA and, you know, and then they put me in a hotel room and I was putting stuff up against the doors cause I thought people were trying to get in and I was talking and I don't remember these conversations. I remember like my sergeant, cause I was supposed to go to Bridgeport for cold weather training. I had to miss it cause I was like literally having a breakdown. And he was like, yeah, man, he told me like years later, he's like, you were calling me, telling me about people trying to get in your room and all this other stuff. Like I was having like, for whatever reason, it seemed like some version of psychosis and that's terrifying, dude. And so 
somehow that whole scenario linked to I just put it towards being scared of airplanes. I don't like it was and that's how trauma works, man. That's just if you can't put it towards the right thing, it'll go towards anything. And so I had this complete breakdown as a human where I literally was scared to go outside of like my immediate comfort zone. And I thought I was going to be like that for the rest of my life. And it was really scary. And basically sobering up, I had to like get back on an airplane. And I started off by like going to like the airport and like walking into like the carousel, like the luggage carousel, like just slow exposure, you know, cause I was working with a cognitive therapist at the time. And, uh, yeah. And then eventually I got on a plane to go see Shane in Chicago. Yeah. Really? Yeah, 45 minutes. So it's from St. Louis to Chicago. It's only 45 minutes. So I was like, that was my first, like, <clears throat> so I went there and uh, my mom was awesome. She was like, you need to do this. And she was going for a meeting. So I went with her and I remember I was like getting on the plane. And I was like in tears. Like I was so scared. And this is weird. I'd flown so many times for so long and all of a sudden this thing just, be- but that's guys, that's like to let you know about trauma. That's what it can do to you. So don't ever feel bad if that happens. Obviously it's going to seem not logical, but that's basically the way trauma is stored in your brain, it doesn't make sense because it's stored in parts. You know, you're it's almost out of body experience. Yeah. So yeah, whenever you store stuff like a traumatic event, you store it in your your sympathetic nervous uh, system, and your uh, there's an autonomic nervous system. You have your parasympathetic, sympathetic. When you store things like that in, in your in your fight or flight or your sympathetic, it stores out of order. So whenever your brain recalls something, it goes immediately. It like it rings your stress responses because it doesn't make sense. So you go into this like physical feeling of like a fear even though it doesn't it it shouldn't so the logic doesn't lie in that but it can be patched into just things that don't make any you know that aren't really the source right so that was my thing with airports long story short so got back so going on the cutthroat man i was getting over like a, a new phobia i was and that wasn't the start man like honestly when i look back at it i went to a gas chamber like a year after i got back from iraq and like i'd done the gas chambers in the military a bunch of times well all of a sudden i was scared to death of gas masks i was freaking out i couldn't do it like it was yeah like and i'd done them so many times like so that's just once again a lesson to anybody who's going through issues if you have anything that's similar to this it's probably trauma if you go see you know somebody they can work you through that and honestly you'll all they got to do is take your traumatic events pull it out and have you process it and like your parasympathetic and literally that stuff that you're experiencing will go away or it'll like like that is how you can be fixed. So just remember that because that's what happened to me. And so I'm literally getting over all of that. And as I'm going on to cutthroat, cutthroat was my second plane ride. You know, I had 45 minutes and then I fly to Cincinnati, New York, uh, England, Czech Republic, you know what I mean? Like then I spend all day on planes. So, you know, going into cutthroat, you gotta, that's, that's what you're looking at. You're looking at a dude who's coming out of like, like addiction a mental breakdown you know like it, it so the very island. new to me very new to me so yeah so back to what you're saying yeah watching myself is very it's it's a reminder of all that which is good to go back and see because it hmm. needs to be something i remind myself of but it is hard it is hard. you, you see it and it just kind of brings all of it back and you're like damn dude like that was not something that i ever want to experience again and that's kind of the reason i got into what i'm doing now is because i want to if i ever encounter people that are in that scenario that i would be able to help and that's also the background to 
mine and Abrams podcast is literally discussing things like that because I wish somebody's having conversations with me or us about things like this. It could have helped a lot in those scenarios or, or pushed me to do the right thing. And that's kind of the mission statement behind uh, Dan and Abram versus life. It's just having discussions about stuff like that, that for some, for some reason, a bunch of people go through. We just don't ever talk openly about it. I don't know if it's shame or whatever, but doing that, sometimes whatever you're discussing, someone else needs to hear it and it can give them hope. And that's, right. that's where we're at on that. So I think I just answered two questions, uh, although they might have been an hour apart. And I just want to say you're welcome. Okay. I told you I'd. I told you. Well, I got a question for you now, since you're kind of in this little uh, loop now with um, what you've been kind of gearing towards. I I've been talking about this, and I know I'm sure other people have talked about it in other spaces as well. I think that there should be a little bit of an aftercare system in place for people that leave reality television in terms of what they go through with their mental health, uh, you know, post show, like once they exit off, because it's like a very swift transition from filming a show back into normal life i feel like there should be a little bubble in place for maybe a week or so before uh they go back into their normal life what is maybe your stance on that um you have a very good point but uh here's here here's the reality of it uh you're you're absolutely right uh a no you don't want to do that if you're a producer because that means your next shows are going to be less uh interesting because you want the dysfunction Right. Sadly. I mean, it is what it is. Like, it, it's, they're going to tell you they don't want it. They want good television. But what's good television? If everybody's mentally well adjusted, you know what I mean? Like, even I was still a wreck, but I was boring after I went on Cutthroat. You know what I, or, you know what I mean? I was boring. So and that's probably why, that's probably what uh, ended up being not necessarily your downfall, but oh, yeah. maybe why they didn't want to proceed with having you back. Oh, yeah. That, that and also, I think we mutually were like, I mean, I, it was only a couple of weeks into Cutthroat. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Really? So yeah, you had, I was kind of like, it was done, like that was done. Yeah, I was done. I was, I was done. I was done before I got eliminated. Like, I think in my head, I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. Like it was, it was like I needed to go back and do it sober and try to do my best. But even then, I was like, I realized, dude, this whole putting myself back together thing's gonna take a while, and so I don't need to be coming back to do these, dude. That's one thing. Back to what you were saying okay you have to remember and this is going to sound really harsh but i'm just going to be real people going on to the shows already have underlying probably mental health issues right whether it's narcissism uh anxiety disorder uh trauma that's why they were picked okay their personalities reflect something that makes them different than everyone else on first sight you know what i mean on initial sight Right. So they're they're casting people through interview processes where they're spending little bits of time with them each time. So in that window, they have to show you something that is interesting enough for you to put them on a television show and pay them. So clearly there's underlining issues inside of there that reflect in those interviews that make them pick you. So as far as an aftercare, I do agree that when you leave the show, there is like a withdrawal because, you know, even being in that scenario, you're releasing dopamine. Because it's something out of the ordinary. You have cameras on you, interviews, you're the center of attention. This is why you see a lot of celebrities have substance abuse issues. Because, you know what I mean, they need something to release that dopamine because they got it from getting their pictures taken, being on movies, all that stuff. Reality TV is the same way. You have attention put on you. So you are releasing dopamine. You are, it's feeding a narcissism. So then all of a sudden one day you go from being the center of attention to not having any attention on you. And there's a withdrawal there. There really is. Like, you go into kind of a depression. I think every time I left the shows, I acted even, well, I mean, like 
Island, I had a complete breakdown for a long time. That was for other reasons. Even Cutthroat, for like a couple days, I kind of was walking around quiet and paranoid, even around people at my normal job and everything. And it was it, there was there is a a withdrawal from it. I 100% agree with you. Um, even in a week, you know, I mean, I think what's a week? Maybe a session, two sessions. I mean, it's it's there's it's going to take more than that. Plus, if they have underlining issues, um, you're also I've also watched people transform just they, they, they probably walked on with underlining issues and the show itself became an issue and turned them into something completely different so mm-hmm. the mental health ramifications from shows are much deeper than i would say in aftercare um i think that i think that it would be awesome if they initiated that as far as like a program for people that feel like they're having a really hard time since the shows i think that would be really awesome for them to facilitate but more on the notion that it could be continuous right six weeks four weeks whatever um which is kind of what i felt like the military was doing like when we came back from iraq they had like this de demobilization like kind of discussion with us where they kind of told us what we might be going through when we got home and i remember all of us laughing being like that's not gonna happen to us and then you get home and you're literally doing exactly what they're saying, like word by word for word. But there was always this extension when I got back of like even Vietnam vets and that saying, go talk to somebody. Even if you don't think you need it, you need to go talk to somebody. And there was that constant push, right? And so when you're not ready, you don't, you're not going to utilize it. So you can go. And if you're really not into it, you're not going to do what you need to do. That's another thing I would say. Like a lot of those people leave and they don't think anything's wrong with them. So they're not going to go. They're not going to go you know, they're not going to take you up on that offer. Right. Um, but I think it's always good. I think it would be good for them to leave it out there so that people, if they are like a person like me who came back, and was like really screwed up and was like, yeah, man, I need to go do something. I think it would be cool. I think you have a really good point. Um, but yeah, I mean like when it comes to, here's my stance on it anyways, guys, people need to pursue, uh, counseling and that like they would pursue the gym. Okay. Not like a, not like a hospital, right? You don't go to a therapist because you're broken. You know, you you go to just make sure you're at your best conditioning you can in your brain, right? You go to the gym to work your muscles out. You go to like going to counseling can be the same thing. You know, you just every I guarantee you everybody has something that's unresolved, right? So, you know, you could always just go if even to better your relationships, better your, you know, and there's all different kinds of like, you know different kinds of psychoanalysis and that that people can do to make you better you know so i just want to start off by saying like i think everyone can benefit from it um i think you'd be very especially if you just dive right into it i think people would be really shocked at how good it is that or how 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 well it works for them because it's it's a very simple process there's no like voodoo to it your brain <laughs> is your brain you know like you know it's 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 neurology, right? Like you know, when you, when everyone here has been, oh God, what was the stats I was looking at? I think it's like one in four, one in four. I want to say is it FDA? One in four, one of five, one of five have been victims of sexual assault of some form. Um, I think one in three have seen some version of domestic violence. Um, and so when you it, we talked about this earlier, it's frame of reference. You think something's normal when it's not. Right, because the only frame of reference that we have for normality is our own eyes. So, how do we know what we're seeing is, no, you know what I mean? Because yeah. normal's in the eye of the beholder. 
And everyone thinks they're fine. I just watched a whole documentary on John Wayne Gacy, who's literally the textbook definition of antisocial psychopath, you know, narcissist. But if you listen to these tapes, this dude thinks he's fine. He's literally, he thinks, you know what I mean? Nobody thinks they're, so I think it benefits everyone. I think you bring a really good point. I think people that go through reality TV need to realize that they were put in a situation where they're in a state of stress for long periods of time. um, And that has long-term, you know, ramifications. That has long-term effects. Just the situation alone. Because when you get there right away, it's a game. And you can feel it, man. And you have no distractions. There is no television. There is no... So you're sitting inside a, a small area with everyone that's playing a game. And you can't be sure if every conversation you're having is being used against you or used for you or manipulated or plotted on. So right away, you're kind of like, you know, at least with me, my heart rate was up all the time. I couldn't even sleep, you know, because I felt like you were in it. And you spend weeks in that, man. Like, that's going to have long-term effects. You're, you're, so just that alone, let alone you walk in there with issues, which I guarantee you, everyone that has ever been on the challenge has something underneath that they didn't, may not have told the viewers about, but it's been, and I can tell you, and I will never tell other people's secrets, but I can tell you what you know about these people is the tip of the iceberg. Everyone has way more intense stories than what even the show allows you to know. Just because when you're in there, you get to know them and you hear things you're like, and it's just things they're not ready to share. So also keep in mind, that's what everyone's bringing in. Stressful situation, underlining uh, trauma as is. You know what I mean? That's going to bring out... That's why you're getting what you're getting. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. um, if that makes it, yeah. It, so, yeah, I, I think everyone would benefit from it. I just think uh, MTV or Jimmy Murray go broke <laughs> trying to pay for everybody's, like, uh, you know, I, I think maybe their uh, direction's kind of shifted on uh, some other stuff now. I mean, they've kind of gotten more focused on, like, some of the visual aspects of the shows now with some of the. You know, over-the-top pyrotechnics and, like, saturation that's been going on. But that's a discussion for a different day. Um, so I take it, like, you haven't... Have you been getting, like, any of the all-star OG calls that, that Mark Long project that he's... No? No. Really? Not even no, an ability. No. They wow. haven't talked to me since 2013. And that was an email. Was that like an in- 2013. What was Battle of the X's? What was the first Battle of the X's? That would have been 12. That was the last email I got, and I didn't answer it. So I'm fairly certain that they don't have my contact information, and I don't care that they don't have my contact information. I've bumped into Mark Long since then uh, at the Whiskey A Go-Go on Sunset uh, a few years ago, and, like, you know, said hi and everything, but there's never been a discussion, like... And I'm not worried about it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, it's, like I said, right now I'm in school. So it's like the program that I'm in is literally one class ends, the other one starts. So it's like, it's continuous. So until, you know, I, the only time I'd ever think about probably doing it is at one point I have to do like practicums where I have to go work and do like face-to-face therapy and stuff like that. Uh, there's a lot of hours that I have to, especially in California, I think it's like 3,000. But uh, I would do it to get the money to be able to go do the practicums and live. 
But uh, other than that, man, right now I'm not. I'm not interested in it. They're not interested in me. Uh, there's been no conversation either way. Like so. Well, not- just just to put things into perspective, had you uh, gotten onto that exes show or accepted the call or email, whatever, you probably well, more than likely it would have been you and Robin uh, teamed up on it. Yeah, it would have been. That's who they were going with. So, yeah. and I think like Mark Long got the call, which he was was that his first time? But was that that was after oh. he retired, right? That was his last. That was his last show until uh, just now with the All Star one. Guys, let me tell you something. When I have not been able to do a show, that is when some of the most iconic moments have happened. I was supposed to be Adam on the Duel Two, and yeah, I had to cancel really? the day they were leaving. Yeah, and Adam went as my replacement, and CT and him had that epic where CT's going through the wall like a you know Jason a horror movie victim, and yeah. Holy smokes. So Adam would not have been there had I I was the original person cast and I had another mental breakdown. <laughs> so couldn't leave. Uh so there you go. You're welcome. Well, um you talk about a domino effect in the history of not only the challenge but reality television. I have affected television with my very n- not presence. <laughs> On the I'm the only person who has may had such an effect without anyone knowing about it because it was because I didn't go. Uh, yeah, Adam replaced me, and then I got a call that night after CT did it to come replace Ooh. CT. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> and, so, and I called it. I called. So why, I said, why didn't you go? It's because you had a breakdown. Oh yeah, I was still screwed up. Yeah, I was. I was trying. That was going to be my first attempt to come back. But, dude, I was, I had fallen off the wagon, I think, right before. And uh, it was bad. It was really but bad. But you were set uh, yeah. to leave and everything? Like the yeah. And everything? I wow. was cast. I even filled out, in, on my passport, I still have uh, the information from New Zealand. Like, literally, it was, I was supposed to go. It was, Jeez. it was the, I would say, hours before my flight. And I literally had a discussion with my mom and my dad. And they were like, I mean, I think we were up to like two in the morning. And they were like. They're like, if you think you should go, you should go. And then it was one of those, and everyone just was like, you shouldn't go, dude. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. And like, my dad was funny. He's like, I can't drive to New Zealand to get you. Because they had to drive to Miami to get me. I couldn't fly. So they had to drive and get me out of a, a hotel room. So he's like, if you freak out in New Zealand, you could be put in jail or whatever. And then I don't know how to get you. You're on an island, dude. So it was like that. That's what it came down to. I, and honest to God, and uh, so, yeah, I had a complete breakdown. And uh, there was also other stuff happening in my life uh, with my family, uh, mm-hmm. other issues that kind of led to that too. So it was just bad. It was really bad. And I shouldn't wow. have been there. I shouldn't have even said yeah. I shouldn't have even entertained the idea. Um, so yeah, that. And then I was supposed to be on the ruins. Okay. And uh, they pulled the kibosh on that one they put the kibosh on that one yeah because I sent in the information and at that point I had gotten put on medication for PTSD and uh, it was a lot of it and they you know you had to put on your forms what you're on and I think like the insurance company got got wind of that and they are like hell no man I ain't bringing no you know good luck to them but we're gonna bring a dude who's like on 
like mood stabilizers and so were you surprised that you actually ended up doing another challenge then and making your way onto cutthroat i didn't think i was gonna get the offer yeah i i thought after after the ruins it was over they didn't because call I, you for the one in, in between the ruins and cutthroat right what was that one it was i think it was the one in whistler canada fresh meat too yeah no i didn't i didn't even get a call for that i think that's why i, I assumed it was over okay and then they called me for cutthroat and i was like and at that point i had sobered up and i was like you know what and i i said in my mind i was like this is the perfect way to end it like kind of my or my journey okay like i showed him how screwed up i was this could be kind of the road to my recovery to go back to you know go back to the place where you know like what's the best way i can put this go into the belly of the beast and yeah see, and see if you can come out of it so it was a challenge to me my life and kind of a way to go okay i'm gonna go on this thing and not embarrass my entire family so in my mind, I was like, it was it was a good positive start to like a new life. Uh, then I got there and realized, holy cow, there's still some pieces I need to put back together before I, you know, get here. But it was all with good intentions. But when they called, I was like, this might be my absolute last chance to do this, and I need to end it on a positive note. So that was my opinion. And when I went there, I was like, okay, maybe there's a possibility that this could like restart something, and I could be an actual good competitor. Uh, and then. I got there and I, like I said, man, it was a few weeks in. I was like, I'm done with this. You know, you got your Johnnies, your Wests, your, and there's a whole new crop. And I don't even know any of these guys that love it, man. They love the, and I like competing. I just don't take myself serious enough. You know, to like, you know what I mean? Like to me, life or death is life or death, right? Anything less than that's not life or death. So to get the best motivation out of me, <laughs> that's not <laughs> like, Dude, I would, I think I played like a dodgeball tournament at my job one time and I got super and I was like, I was more competitive into that than I've ever been on a challenge. Like I cared more about that thing for some reason than I did for a challenge that had, you know, th hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line. No idea why. Because my brain's stupid and it's broken, but like that's like the only, for some reason it just never, when I get there, the experience, and I was like kind of looking into this, there's like if you go into like different schools of psychology, like uh, like like Alfred Adler and 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 Carl Jung, and that, they always talk about like kind of your internal motivations, right? Like your like it, it, there's something in us. So, so like you know, are you an intro you know introvert as far as how you think, and and are you a are you a senses over feelings person? And there's just certain components to us that activate for some reason, right? And it's it doesn't it may not make any logical sense to anyone else. It's just kind of how you geared your psyche's geared, and that's kind of how mine is, man. It's like I'll find more reasons to compete for personal reasons than I will for money. Money doesn't get me going. If the scenario is to me like it's in that it was set up to be just kind of this game show dysfunctional scenario, I was more or less interested in the psychological aspect of seeing how everyone reacts and talks and does it it was more like a people watching thing then it mm -hmm. that was more interest to me than actually winning any of the competitions so i don't think i'm good for it i don't think i'm like i think i'm like i'm totally crappy for people to watch like you want to see people that are super into it and they're like then they'll do anything you know what i mean that's the fun of it and i don't provide that so it's like i i think i think it's better for the fans that i don't I think I, I serve more of a purpose for everyone to look back on and go, Jesus, that dude was messed up. And then for me to go, yeah, I was messed up. <laughs> then it is to go back and compete because I don't think I'd, I, I, I think my value has already been used 
for those shows. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's just kind of how, how I view it, man. So, uh, as far as getting called back for like, listen, I never say never, man. I never say never. And, and honestly, if you'd asked me two years ago, I'd have said no. No, yeah. hands down. Not ever going to do it again. Uh, but like I said, you know, I, I coming back in contact with a lot of these guys and like, it is, it, there's that, that interest, but you know, like a serious interest. No, man. And, and I can entertain it, but right now if they were to call and be like, can you, I'd be like, no, I can't. Like, I mean, I've, have school, I have comedy, I have things going on. But like I said, who knows, man, in like a little bit when I start my like practicums and, you know, hours, I've, I've always been thinking like, how am I going to pay? Cause like having a job while trying to do that is it's going to be next to impossible. So I was like, Hey man, maybe go do one or two, save up some money and then go be able to complete my, you know, like my, my licensure and all that stuff. But so who knows? Yeah. Well, if we, we got to, we, we got to talk about cutthroat a little bit though, in specific right. basis, because, you know, cutthroat is one of those, uh, polarizing seasons. You know, we had a little, it's a little unorthodox from your typical usual seasons in a few different you know regards but it's one of my favorites personally you know we kind of had like a nice little mishmash of the cast right like you had like you know you had your few guys that are usually typically on every show but we sprinkled in guys that are kind of like you know yourself who shows up like every once in a blue moon like we we had your regulars and then you're not so regulars and that's why i think you had like kind of like that band of misfits type of vibe with the gray team you're kind of jock vibe of like all the guys that are always on these shows on the blue side and then the red side was just like you know we didn't really know what to make of them i guess you could say but how they won it still baffles me made no sense in no point of the entire competition were they ever competition like i hate to say it like that but like it was very gravers blue like we figured that's what it was coming down to and even when we would compete in the challenges, red was always a non-factor. It was always like, it was blue we got to be it was blue. blue or gray that was always winning. Yeah. And I, I, I wore gray just for this. Go figure. <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was even me. Like, I was like, dude, there's no, like, we were like, whatever, man, red. And then somehow it just, they wind up winning. And it's like, sometimes, listen, maybe that's the excitement of the game. And, but, uh. It, yeah, that one I still look and listen, I love those guys. Like, but they do there they there was nothing they, they had no there was no strategy. They just accidentally won. That's literally what happened. And I think or what happened is gray and blue were so focused on each other. They were just we knocking just, all their guys out. And then yeah, the final was pretty much tailor made for red. It was a bunch of like heavy lifting and carrying stuff. Yeah. And so. dude, and I'll say this like Tyler is a hoss and like nobody gave that guy the, they gave what's his name? Ty way too much. Like we knew from the beginning. I'll tell you right now, me and Luke could have told you that what happened to Ty was going to happen. What what, what was the moment that gave it away for you then with that? We were doing that. um, We were doing that obstacle course thing where we were all running on the horse track and we all had to like get in between tires. Yeah. So at one point, dude, I remember like, the only reason red won is because blue and gray went at each other right away. And red just squeaked by while we were fighting each other, which was like our bad. Right. So everyone on gray paired up with somebody from blue. And then that's how we fought through the whole thing. Right. And so like, I remember it was like, Derek was a beast. 
Like I, I remember I grabbed Derek's leg when he's going under this like hay wheel, and I just yanked him and threw him back. To, and then like by the time I went underneath it, his ass was already underneath there with me. Like that's that's how quick Derek is. And we almost knocked over. They almost collapsed and crushed us because we were just so into it. So it was like I was like, okay, I don't ever remember Johnny on any of this. Like that's what's funny is like Johnny wins all these things, and I'm like, I don't ever remember any like thing where oh Johnny's good at this. It's like, but I remember Derek. I remember like, holy shit, Derek is one of those guys, man, where like he's so quick and he's so there's just this ball of um this ball of power. So it's like, yeah, isn't this massive but like dude, he can he can put concentrated amounts of power in certain areas and it makes it very difficult for you to like to defend against him or whatever. He's very so we we went to this part where we literally jumped up and it was like we were gonna leapfrog each other. So, like, I jumped up, and I think Luke jumped up with me, and then Abram, like, leapfrogged us. Because he was like, are you guys here to, like, make sure our girls get through? And I said, okay, yeah, we're here. So we're sitting up there, and I remember, like, Derek, he might have squeaked by it, but he was hard to hold back. I'll say everyone was hard to hold back, and then Ty comes up. And I'm sitting at the top of this thing, and, like, Ty jumps up, and, like, dude, I just literally just push him back like that. And I'm like thinking there's no way in hell that that horse of a man, because the, how built in that he was, I was like, there's no way that that's that easy. So like, whatever Luke comes and takes it. So I run forward when it's all said and done, I go back to Luke and I'm like, listen, you were back there holding tie down. I said, was it not incredibly easy? And he was like, yeah, I said, that is really weird. Like we were both like, that's really weird. And I remember going to Johnny and Derek, and I'm like, "Your guy Ty, you're defending him, and you shouldn't be." Like I was like, I was like, "Dude, the guy," because like I was like, "Easy, you need to keep easy. You need to keep, you know, whoever." But like I remember we were saying, Ty is not what you think he is, and I don't know how to explain it. And like none of them believed us. They were like, "No, he's," the, and they protected him. And then when he they couldn't protect him, look what happened. And I've I've never had such an "I told you so" moment. I remember, like, I was like, dude, we tried to tell you. And we shouldn't have. We shouldn't have. That was where I was stupid. You know, they were my friends. Yeah. And I was like, listen, you, your boy isn't what you think he is. And I think also it was, like, trying to defend other people that I thought should stay. Because right. I was like, there's people that you guys are getting rid of. Once again, I shouldn't have done it. But I was like, I think you guys are. And I think it was just, like, kind of like Johnny was like, nah. And I'm like, I wish you knew as much as you thought you knew. Because... That's going to blow up in your face. What, wasn't there like so many fights in that house too? I feel like that didn't even make air. Like a tie. I think Vinny was always in a bunch of fights. Ty picked. So this is why Ty's going to pick at you. And this is the thing about Ty that, I, that I'll say is if you didn't respond. Like I remember Ty one time threw a ball at me just out of nowhere. And it like, and I just leaned over and the cameras are in front of me. And I said, and, and like in a in complaint of day, like, I'm not the one to F with. Okay. Like I'm not here to make TV. And if you got a problem with me, then it's going to become a problem. Like this isn't like a fun, <laughs> like when I said that to Ty, very serious, I could see in Ty's face that like, it wasn't, he didn't really want, he was more having fun, like entertaining, like pushing buttons. Right. And I think when I leaned forward and I was just being very serious with him, like basically saying like, if you want shit to go down, it will go down with me, but it won't be for the cameras. It won't be an argument. Like we're both, we'll both go home. And he, I could see kind of when he looked at me, like this isn't worth it. 
You know what I mean? Like this, I yeah. like I. It, it's not. I won't be able to have fun with him. This this would turn serious real quick, and that's just not entertaining. You know, it's kind of same thing with Johnny. Johnny likes to pick, but he doesn't want to like actually. He doesn't want to risk going home, or he doesn't want to risk like he just wants to have a little fun. And that's kind of tight. And Ty was kind of going through his own thing, so he would like kind of knit at people until they snapped. And like with me, I'd already had enough experience with Kenny and Johnny on the island that I knew that that's what he was doing. So I just, you know, I remember just looking at him in that room, and be, I think it was like the same night he got into it with Brandon. Uh, no, that was another night. Oh my Katie, god, Katie, maybe. Oh, you're Katie. I think it might have been Katie. And he was just, he was looking for somebody to like, to start with. And like, dude, to me, I always kind of stayed, but like right when he went through, I was like, oh no, I know what you're doing. And I'm just going to nicely tell you, don't do it with me. Like, I don't, I'm not in a place where I can do that right now. And, and to his, to, honestly, to his, like, uh, 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 to compliment credit. him. Yeah. To his credit. He was just like, all right. You're like, hey, I don't even think he found it. I don't, I, I wouldn't have been entertaining to him, you know? So he, he actually baited someone in to hitting him on the following season, uh, yeah. the first episode, and he got him. They got kicked off for hitting him. He didn't retaliate. Like that was like yeah. his thing. Yeah. yeah, that's what he'll do. And if like he's the, he he picks it. Here's the if he thought, and I guarantee you this, if he thought that person he baited was actually a threat, he wouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. Like that that says a lot about well, who he did it to because he's like I don't care about those dudes. like, you know, like I'm not trying to say like I'm. You know, whatever, but I, I think he definitely was like, okay, this, the the risk and reward wouldn't pay off, you know, regardless of if he thought he could totally kick my ass or not. I think he knew that at least it would be a much better fight than what he was going to get, than what he was, you know, war- willing to even put out, you know what I mean? I don't think he had that much investment in it to where it's like when he messed with, you know, other people, he got what he wanted. He got right. that like emotional, like, and that's what he wanted. He wanted like a, you like you know, yelling back and forth to where like I was at a place where I couldn't do that. Like I, I didn't. I had this really numb, and I think you could feel that. It was like either I was like this or I was like that. It was one or the other. I was very bipolar at that time. So I don't think he would have gotten the entertainment he wanted out of it. You know what I mean? So I, like with me and I, and it was only one time. It was only one little brief time, and I think it was early on. And he kind of was like, all right. And after that, honestly, he and I got along. Wow. Like he uh, joked around and like, you know, I know I have no issues with Ty whatsoever. Yeah. You know, I, but I did see where he would pick with other people, but also there's times where I'm like, why are you even feeding it? But there was a, also, uh, God his, his, uh, I just, uh, Emily with Emily, him and Emily had a history. Yeah. So I think there was definitely like, he knew what buttons to push with her and vice versa. So they both kind of like, they have the, they have this weird love hate thing. Yeah, that was... And so they would do it. And then Katie, is a friggin' powder keg, dude. Like, if you're looking for a fight with Katie Doyle, you will get that fight with Katie Doyle. And I love her, dude. I love Katie. I will fight for Katie Doyle. If Katie Doyle called me out of nowhere and said, dude, I need you. I'm going to get into, like, a massive fist fight with a biker gang in Tennessee. I would be like, Katie, I will go die for you. Because I love you that much. You're freaking hilarious. Like, he's so like, dude, and that's real. That is like, when I tell you, I'm like, there is no act with her. It's like, once you push, dude, like these, oh, you want to, and then she is just ready to go and fearless. And I like, God, she's one of those that you're happy when she's on your side. Definitely don't want, you don't want to be against her. So you got to tell the uh, free Willie story now. 
Oh. <laughs> Did you have Brad on? Uh, yeah, I had him on last last week, uh, a week and a half ago. Did you ask Brad about this? I didn't. Why? Brad's the, he's the mastermind. Brad's the mastermind he was the, behind the He was the, the one that thing. spearheaded that operation? He masterminded the whole thing. Brad is actually hilarious, dude. Oh, I know. He's so hilarious. And, like, like I didn't know how things were going to be with he and I because, like, me and Tori had had a past and he had just married her. And, like, so I thought things were going to be really awkward with he and I. But, like, honestly, dude, we we got in there and met. And, like, at least on my side, I thought me and Brad got along really well. And, like, mm. he made me laugh so many times, dude, because he just has that, like, dry sense of humor. And it's – so here's the story. All right. So Tori had a – her skill for her pageants was playing the piano. So she could play the Free Willy song, the, the Michael Jackson song. And Cutthroat had a piano in it, had it in the house, which yeah, much to like, dude, yeah. So, and what was funny is she taught Abram how to play it. So Abram practiced it over and over again to the torture of everyone in the house. Like at one point, everyone's like, dude, I'm going to set that piano on fire. I can't take it anymore because it was always the same, like, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. Real slow, like a kid was playing it over and over. It's like, dude, some like literally POW torture technique, like Guantanamo Bay. Like, <laughs> so that's what's going. So that's going on, and we're all just like getting really mad about it. And just Brad being Brad has to make it hilarious. So like one day he comes over to me and he goes, "Dan, you're a comedian. I need your, I need your advice." And he's like. I'm writing a song based off of the Free Willy song. But I I realized that as I've been listening to that song for days now, that the song itself is not about Willie at all. It's not about Free Willy. He's just, Michael Jackson is singing about a relationship with someone else. And I think that's kind of messed up. And I think we should rewrite the song to be only about Willie in, in the movie Free Willy. And I said, okay. And he goes, so this is my opening lyrics. Willie, where are you going? Why are you leaving? I thought we were friends. And so automatically, dude, I'm just like, he's got my attention. Because this is like totally <laughs> right up my wheel. Like, I have such a stupid sense of humor. And I'm like, okay. So we're working on like writing the whole song. So by the end of it, Brad's idea has just expanded. He's like, no, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to get Dunbar to dress up in all black Under Armour, right? And we're going to see if we can get a contraption from production where we can just float him over Derek. And Derek's going to be standing in the hot tub, reaching up like the kid is in Free Willy. And he's just touching uh, Dunbar's stomach. And he's going to be like, yeah. And then. <laughs> so by the end of it, he has rethought a video and he has rethought. We rewrote the lyrics <laughs> to the Free Willy song. All of this branched off of people going nuts off of hearing it, but Brad somehow taking it going, you know what? This song isn't about the movie. Let's make it about the movie. Like, that's where his his brain went, man. Oh, God, he was... I, I feel like you couldn't have picked a better person for a prop than, than Dunbar. Because Dunbar takes himself so serious that, like... And that's what Brad was saying. And, like, Brad and Dunbar are homies, dude. And he's like, dude, yeah. and just, Brad has that, like... You know Dunbar. Dunbar's always so like, whoa. You know, he's like so, you know, takes himself so serious. He's like, he seemed like a tough guy around the edges, like a tough guy to really get to know. Like, did you did you under get to understand Dunbar? Yeah, 
like he's Dunbar. You gotta understand Dunbar very early on had to look out for himself. And when people live in a life like that, you develop a certain kind of like, uh, I hate to say narcissism, but you do because you have to believe in yourself. Maybe you're your only hope, you know? And so, I mean, he shared with the show, like early on, his grandfather, like had attempted to you know molest him and he found out a lot of stuff about it. So he emancipated himself at like 14, 14 or 15 years old. Wow. So uh, he had gone to Ole Miss or whatever he did. He, I think he got himself into school on his own. Like he really had to do his own thing. And uh, that forges, you know what I mean? Like it, it, you, you develop a certain kind of personality. And it's a personality of like, dude, I got to fend for myself. I got to do it for myself. So, yeah, he takes himself a little serious. And uh, I, I like Dunbar. I think he and I have had some really good conversations. We've had some really funny conversations. Like, I thoroughly enjoy him. Like I, yeah. I, I do, and, and oh, I love them as a cast member. I think like uh, there's certain guys that like it's almost an underrated element to reality TV when you have someone that's kind of just reading the room as opposed to somebody that's trying to be the center of the room. And I yeah. think Dunbar falls under that category very well as somebody that's just you know reading the room as as opposed to kind of trying to get the room's attention. And like, and here's the thing that I think I I. I kind of bonded with Dunbar on this. It's like, you know, you think you can figure someone out, right? So Dunbar, because he has had to fend for himself, takes himself serious and holds himself to like this certain standard all the time, right? Here's the deal, dude. When people have seen or gone through some really important stuff, sometimes it's hard for them to prioritize being competitive in certain scenarios, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, you. so there's literally times he just wasn't into competing, right? And maybe that's why his performance wasn't great. Okay, uh, I'm the same way, but to where I can own it and be like, yeah, dude, I'm sorry. I just, I'm jacked up in the head, man. I just didn't give a shit. And that's why I just, I was bad. He kind of had more excuses. Yeah. Like, He'll yeah. sit there and be like, no, because, of, because he like, he does, he has so much. And I'm sure that what he say, he knows his potential and he knows that at that time he's not fulfilling it. But I mean, he's going, one of the bigger guys on the show. Yeah. And so yeah. with, without him going like. All right, man, maybe, I don't know, because it isn't, sometimes you just can't explain why. Like, I don't know, I, I kind of just, like, I, I embrace my my dysfunction. You know, it's like, yeah, I don't know why I just don't. I should care. I should care about all that money. I should, and I don't. I have no damn interest. It's not like I'm rich. I'm not rich. I, I could have used that money. To whereas Dunbar, like, he can't put his head around it. He's like, no, I should. Even though I'm not, I should, and, and I can't. And he holds himself to such a high standard that, yeah, it'll, it'll get to a point where he's like, no, this, that. And, and I think that's, like, when you know him and you like him, and you and you, you know what I mean? Like you love him for it. Yeah. That like when you watch that, you laugh. And I think that's how Brad is. Like Brad knows yeah. that about Dunbar. Like, yeah, Dunbar over here. Like, you know, it's like he is. It's lovable, but he's like, he takes himself so damn serious that it's like, bro, sometimes it's okay to just go, I didn't give a shit. Or I didn't care. Or I just didn't. You know, like <laughs> I just didn't. I'm sorry. I know it doesn't I can't explain it to you. I don't know. But he can't he won't do that. He has to have an explanation. He has to have like and but that's also to a testament or it's a testament to him. Because that's how he's had to live his life to be successful despite a lot of the stuff that was on him. You know what I mean? How Dunbar looks in the life that Dunbar lead led are not the same thing at all. And that's what I'm saying. Don't judge a book by your cover. When you look at Dunbar, Dunbar might seem like somebody who came from privilege uh, and very much not the fact. So I think he combats that too. I think he knows what he looks like and what he's been through. And I think he understands that there's automatically assumptions. And I think he has issues with that. Um, rightfully so. And I think also he has issues sometimes with maybe not meeting his own potential 
because he's had to set that bar so high for him to be successful. So right. I think that's so to me, all of his like I, I would say like every his his uh, his downfalls or whatever someone might call it is actually something to me that makes him more endearing. Like it makes you know what I mean. Yeah. So that's why I like Dunbar a lot. Um, that's why I like Brad. That's why I like. I mean, honestly, man, there's very few people that I dislike because I think like once you learn their story, it makes a lot of sense of how they are, and you're like, well, it's not. I mean, they're not evil. They just we're we're all we're all products of our environment, or we're all products of what's happened to us, and that's you just kind of gotta. I don't know, man. It's it, as I I think definitely when you're as big of a screw up as I was, like you need to embrace people's stuff, you know, quicker, or else you're a moron. It's like. <laughs> I'm asking you to forgive me and understand me, but like I can't do it for other people. Like that's pretty stupid. But yeah, guys, everything that they do is is explainable, and it may come from darker places than what you think. And maybe they don't want to share it, and and that's their that's completely up to them to do that. But yeah, a lot of times if you see someone on those shows or in those scenarios where you're like, I don't understand why they're, I'm like, there's probably a good reason. There's a very very good reason. It's always a rhyme and a reason. Yeah, and it's sometimes it's like, oh shit, like that's that's more. There's a lot of that. There was a lot of that on, like, especially in Cutthroat. Like when I got there, and I had was very open about like just like my, my substance abuse issues and trying to like stay sober and everything. A lot of people came over to me that would share their experiences, and a lot more of those guys were dealing with addictions that people don't even know about that they didn't want to talk about, like serious ones, serious serious ones that they were trying to keep it, and they didn't want others to know, so they kept it they kept it quiet. So. I always say that, man. There's even like what you do know. There's more to it, and uh, so like if if there's somebody that you're like, okay, what is uh, like, why is this person being this way? There's probably a very good reason. Very very good reason. Be understanding. I don't know any of the new people. They might just all be assholes. I can't I can't talk for them. But uh, the older crew, I'd say the older crew definitely. Everyone I bumped into there, there was more of a reason for why they were, and it was like, oh man. So. Mhm. Yeah. Well, I think that might be a good place to close it. I think, uh, you know, we cracked out a lot of good points and a lot of good nuggets in this uh, conversation. Dan, thank you for being so uh, gracious with your time today. I had a great time catching up with you. Um, and uh, I'm so thankful for the uh, stability in this one that we didn't have the first time. So. Man, I'm sorry if I, like, I, and I got to work on this. Uh, you ask questions and I go everywhere. I'm a storyteller, dude. So, like... You're like, hey, Dan, how did you get to the store today? I'd be like, so first off, let's start with what I think of stores. And then, uh, you know, that's where I and then I think I, it, that may be very annoying to some of your your listeners. Guys, I apologize. I just uh, it happens. I have we're going to be happy to uh, see you. So, yeah, they're probably like that dude don't shut up. I think I know Dan's Dan's addicted to talking now. <laughs> he got rid of booze <laughs> and he doesn't shut up. That's his thing now. But yeah, if if guys, if you want to listen to me and Abram chat it up about, you know, anything, Dan and Abram versus life, it's on Spotify. And I have another one, too, called uh, Irreverent and Irrelevant with a friend of mine, Matt Murphy from the wrestling business. And like that one is not constructive, guys. It's just two people being gross. Honestly, it's (laughs) one of them is like me and Abram trying to be constructive and contribute to mankind. And then me and my buddy Matt are just literally being just joking and making very terrible uh, discussion points just for the fact of burning off steam. So if you guys want to laugh, irreverent and irrelevant, if you want to actually uh, listen to some insightful stuff, then listen to me and Abram on 
Dan and Abram versus life. And I promise Abram talks too. So if you guys think that I ramble, you should hear that, dude. He's, <laughs> we ramble together. We we only have like, Yeah, we have like we take five minutes worth of conversation and stretch it to two hours of just rambling. But if you want to learn about what it's like to be a new father or, you know, schizophrenia or alcohol abuse or, you know, any God, our, our topics are ADD, too. So, yeah, listen to it. Feel free to reach out to us. We interact with the uh, the listeners. Um, sometimes it's just episodes on them sending us their story and questions, and we just do the whole thing on that. Oh. We get their names and everything. So, if you guys feel like it, do it. Yeah, I'll, I'll link that for you uh, for you guys as well. I know Abram's been on the show as well, so uh, anything I can do to help and uh, support you guys from afar. Do you want, do you want him back on the show? Do you want him back oh, on the show? Oh, push I mean, on him? Not necessarily. Abram. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't reached out or anything, so... Abram, get back on the show and talk to Mike. Talk to Mike about everything. He's done, like, what, 25,000 challenges? I'm sure you can think of some uh, some questions. He was, he was supposed to be doing the All-Star ones, too. He got nicked up. Dude, three uh, of them. He supposed to do three of them. Yeah, COVID, Torque. injury. Yeah, yeah he tore, I was there when he snapped his... Uh, not there, there, but, like, we were doing the show at that time. Yeah. When he uh, snapped his Achilles running yeah. on the beach. So, yeah, he, I, he'll make it back eventually <laughs> if he can stop hurting himself. He loves those things, man. He loves competing. That's just his thing. He's the opposite of me, dude. Like, if you give him any reason to compete, he'll do it. He just loves it. So he'll be interesting. Yeah, he, he's one of the good ones. That's the one that people deserve. People need to see the CTs, the Abrams, the West, the Johnnies, those guys. Not me sitting there uh, making free willy jokes with Brad the whole time and just being useless. I wish they showed that, man. There was a shit they should have shown addition to Cutthroat. But there is a lot of stuff that still was not shown on that. So Cutthroat is like the season that keeps on giving, I feel like. but They have. So there's like what sucks is there's so there's copyright issues. So sometimes when we were doing things. What we were doing, like, I could almost tell you that, like, the Free Willy copyright and the Michael Jackson, like, copyright is why they couldn't show that. Because it's it's all, you know what I mean? Like, they'll get sued. And it's like, yeah. they get mad at you for singing songs and stuff. That's why Johnny Bananas will sing Happy Birthday over and over again. Because it's not copywritten. And they can't tell him to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Little yeah. trivia for you guys. If you guys want to know, Johnny Bananas sings uh, Happy Birthday to the point of everyone in production wanting to kill him so little tidbit for you i don't know if you ever covered that but that's that's a little dvd extra for oh, you guys cool. he, he does that on purpose just to piss them off into the microphones that they have on you until like they almost want to that's funny have you ever had johnny on the show i've not yet i've had wes on though how's wes Wes is a great guy wes pisses Doing people very off, well but wes to let me stay in his home in kansas city for uh, you know without even really knowing me so he's oh, a wow. great guy i wish the best for him Never yeah. did a show with him, though. I know. I've had I, Kenny and Wes, actually, both. <laughs> I have had the pleasure of being friends with people that hate each other. That's the funniest part. Like, I'm friends with one person <laughs> who hates best. the other one, and they'll just, I don't know why you, and it's like, I don't know, I like him. So it's like, I feel like I'm, like, in the middle of this big divide with the Challenge family. It's, like, usually two sides. Like, if there's a feud, I'm probably friends with both of them, uh, uh, you know, equally, you know, in my time, and, and I have to listen to how much they hate the other one and vice versa. Uh, West, not so much. Like, I, well, I heard a lot about like why different people hated West, but West to me never talked bad about anyone else and uh, was really nice and hospitable to me. So mm-hmm. he's a good dude. I'll drop that one yeah. too. If you guys hate West, he's not as bad as you think he is. He's no. not bad. 
So I wanted you to feel. I want you to feel bad for hating him. Yeah, I'm Wes's advocate. He paid me to say that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I had a great time chatting with you um, as always, and um, you know, thank you again for uh, hopping on here. Can't wait to put it out. My pleasure, Mike. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Take care. Have a great, uh, great rest of your day. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. See you.